0: You guys can be seated. Can we thank the band for leading us tonight? So, uh, how are you guys doing tonight? Yeah, you guys all right? Everybody feeling pretty good? Yeah, feeling pretty good? Everybody get some sleep? I feel good. Trying to get some sleep? Sleep more than me? I probably? Hey, uh, sorry if you thought that me bringing up my cute baby was like, showboaty or something I was thinking about that as we were singing I was like man I hope it doesn't come across as like I'm trying to show off my kid or because I totally was but (laughs) I hope I wasn't coming across like "Uh, this is all about me because I'm not trying to make this all about me so hopefully you didn't take it as that. Um, I'm Adam Lynch. If we haven't met before, um, I'm the young adult pastor here at Connection Point, and I'm super, super excited uh, that you have decided to join us tonight. We're in a series on the book of Ephesians, and if you've missed any of the past weeks, you can catch them online. They should be online pretty soon, or they are online already. Um, But last time, we talked about... uh, uh, What what did we talk about? We talked about uh, God's power. We talked about how God has given us Power through His Son Jesus, and do we access that power? And so tonight we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter two. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, whether uh, a digital version or a paper version, please open up your Bibles uh, to chapter two of Ephesians, and we're going to start in verse one. Um, last time we got we, we were together, I talked about how you don't don't put it up there yet. Uh, I talked about how um, Paul wrote this letter, Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus, and uh, he was basically telling them, um, "Hey, uh, the, these powers that, that you are worshiping uh, there in, in Ephesus are not uh, they do, they're not greater than Jesus. Like you're falling for this false." Uh, a false god, and so and we also talked about how the book of Ephesians is basically broken up into two different chapters, or, or two different halves. The first three chapters are talking about God's power and uh, having power in Jesus, and the second half is about living gospel living. And so tonight we're going to be looking at uh, four different points. I have four different points. I'm going to talk for two hours. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> No, I'm not going to talk for two hours. I'm going to talk for like 20 minutes. Um, But I got four points, and I'll just be up uh, up front with you. The first three points are setting up the last point. Like I have to, I'm trying to take you someplace through the entire chapter of, uh, chapter two of Ephesians to get to the last point, okay? So I'm going to try to fly through the first three points to really get to the last point. And uh, if at some point you're offended, I apologize, Um, And we can talk later, but okay, so let's go. So uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Are you there? Give me a nod. Give me a little something. I need to, okay. People are there. Okay, good. Let's go. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 3. Verse 1 through 3 first. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Okay, so the first point that you need to know tonight is that we were once dead. All of us in this place tonight are in one of two places, okay? We're in one of two places. You're either alive in Christ or you're dead in your sins. Like, that's just fact. Like, that's just fact. You're either dead in your sins or you're alive in Christ, Paul's saying. In verses 1 through 3, Paul's talking about disobedience and how how those, he's saying that these people that he's writing to in Ephesus, how they used to live in disobedience, how how they used to live like the rest of the world. And if you're here tonight and you know Jesus, like, we all were in that place at one time as well. We're all, we're all following the desires of, of our flesh at one time until Christ made us alive. I mean, I know I did that. Like, drinking, uh, partying, girls, whatever, like, I, I did anything uh, that, I, that my heart desired because I didn't know Christ. Like, my heart was dead. My, 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 I was following the sinful nature, and all of us who follow Christ did that at one time. So Paul is telling these Ephesians like, hey, you have to remember that you were once dead in your sin. Does that make sense? Like he's saying, you have to remember you you were once dead in your sin. Second point, I told you I'm going to fly. Second point is Christ opened our hearts to receive his grace. Write that down. Christ opened our hearts to receive his grace. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5, Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Now, I just wonder if you're here tonight and you know Jesus, like, do you remember who you were before you knew Christ? Do you remember the person that you were before you knew Jesus? Do you, do you remember how you used to act before you knew Jesus? But did you know now, like, he has made you alive in him? Okay, so I, I shared this illustration a couple of years ago, and if you remember, I, I'm sorry, I'm kind of recycling something, I guess, but um, so you guys all know what a caterpillar is? Yeah. yeah? Raise your hand if you know what a caterpillar is. It looks kind of like a worm, green or a different color, I guess, kind of like moves on the ground. So, like, these caterpillars are, are like, they're weird, right? So... They go through this thing, like, called the metamorphosis, you know, where they're, like, a caterpillar, and then they go in a cocoon, and then they become a butterfly. Like, you guys know all about this, right? Like, you don't have to be, like, a nature person to know this. It's kind of, like, common knowledge. Um, my wife's really scared of butterflies. Don't know why. It's something really weird. I think it's the wings. I think it's something with wings. I don't know. Birds, maybe? I don't know. Anyways. So, uh, butterflies. So, so, yeah. So, like, okay, so caterpillars, right, have this metamorphosis. <laughs> You're laughing, That's fine. Uh, they have this metamorphosis go in a cocoon. How crazy is this thing that is like once crawling on the ground, ha- like goes into this like cocoon, s- like I don't know if they sleep in there. I don't know what they're doing in there. Uh, are they hibernating? Do you know? Does anybody know? Nobody knows. Nobody? What? They're restarting? Yeah, so they're, yeah, They're re- like stuff's happening in there. And then like they have this metamorphosis and they totally change and they turn into a butterfly. That's amazing, right? Like it's so cool. And like I use this illustration because like, that's how our life changes with Jesus. Like, we are a caterpillar crawling on the ground, dead in our sins, and then we have a metamorphosis, a change, because Christ enters our life, and then we turn into butterflies. That's just weird. That's the weird analogy. I mean, you're supposed to laugh at that point. Okay, ha ha ha. Okay, so you're not really, but, but like, there's that, there's that change, though. Like, you were once this one thing, and then you, be, you know Christ, and you become something else. Like there's this transition in your life when I don't know Jesus to now I know Jesus. There's a metamorphosis, there's a change, there's like a moving in direction. And there's just some of us who are in here tonight who have had this metamorphosis where you are actually like a butterfly, but you're still crawling on the ground like you're a caterpillar. You're still living in this old life, not realizing that you've been made new in Jesus. Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6 uh, uh, says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Okay, you're going to have to really put on your thinking caps, okay? Think with me. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, okay, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So God is going to place us Next to Jesus, okay, verse eight, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, so point number one here is that he loved, he loved us so much that he died for us. Everybody takes that for granted, that's fine. He died for us, okay? Romans 5, eight, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that yet while we were still sinners, he died for us. So while you're still living in those mistakes, he died for us. Even for the people that would never follow him, he died for us. Yeah. Knowing all the mistakes, knowing all the things that you would do, he died for us and he rose for us. And I love verses six through seven because you have to stick with me. It says that God raised him up with Christ, seated him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And verse seven is so amazing. Okay. In verse seven, it says in order, he did all those things. He seated us with Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed In his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So what is this saying? He's saying that in the future, in the coming ages, we are going to be shining examples of God's goodness and his kindness. Because we are with him in eternity, God's going to be able to look at us and say, look at them, they're here because of my goodness and kindness in sending Christ Jesus to die for them. You are here, if you're here and you know Jesus, you are a shining example of God's goodness and his kindness. Throughout all the ages, throughout all eternity, you are going to be a shining example of God's goodness. That is amazing. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians to have them remember this. Like, remember, okay, like, you were once dead in your sins. You, got, you have been made alive in Christ, and he is going to make you a shining example throughout the ages. Throughout all of eternity, you and I, if we end up there, we'll always be examples of God's grace. Even now, even now, you can be an example of God's grace. I mean, look at the things that God has brought you through to get you to where you're at tonight. Like, if you are here and you know Jesus, think about, think about the difference that he has made in your life. Like, I can tell people my story and it doesn't glorify me. It glorifies him because of the stuff that he's brought me through. Yeah, like you can be a shining example of God's grace and his goodness and kindness. And just by, hey, look at me. Look at the junk that he's got me through. Yeah. You want to you see if God's good? Look how he's changed my life. There's some of you in this room tonight where you could stand up here and you could say, he has changed my life in this way and it would give God glory. Amen. Do you live like that? Do you understand that? And so Paul is saying all this to to the Ephesians to get to to remind them of who they are and what they've been through and and what they've gone through to get to where they're at. So then he gets to Ephesians 2, verse 10, okay? And so he says, with all that has happened, since you were dead in your sins, he made you alive in Christ, there's a responsibility. And there's two different responsibilities. The first responsibility um, is that you are God's masterpiece, so you have to do something with what has been given to you. You are God's... God's masterpiece, verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know? Did you know that God created you to do good works? Did you know that you were saved for more than just being saved? Like, did you know that he changed your life for more than just, for for just, you know, being a Christian? Or just like, you know, being able to tell people, like check on a box like I'm a Christian or go to church on Sunday. Did you know that God has created you to be his handiwork? So like since he raised you to life in Christ, you have a responsibility. It says that he did these things in advance. He created these things in advance. If he did something in advance, that means that there's a purpose for it. And there's a lot of us like I, I, I counsel so many young adults every single day. And they feel like I have no purpose for my life. I feel like God has no purpose for my life. I feel like God has no purpose for my life. I'm like, this is the purpose of your life. Like, I don't know, like, what exactly, like, what job you're supposed to do, but your purpose in life is to share Jesus with others and enjoy him. Like, that's really, there's no pressure on your life. Like, whether you go to law school, grad school, doctor school, I don't, like, what is that called? (laughs) Med school? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) doctor school. I have a master's. I have a master's. It's fine. You know, like, (laughs) I went to master school. Yes, yes, master master shredder. Uh, Ninja Turtles. Anyways, that's how my brain thinks. Uh, Hey, you guys are here. Good. I'm not by myself tonight. That's good. Awesome. Uh, But, yeah. So, yeah, I have people like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm like, you're supposed to share Jesus with people. That's what you're supposed to do. Like, he created these works in advance. Like, he has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And that's something like we want to help you, like at the net, we want to help you figure out your gifts and your talents, and, like in and your spiritual gifts to help you fulfill the things that he's called you to do. Yep. Like we want to do that for you. That's why we exist. Yep. Um, can, I just say, can I just say something, honestly? I found something out. Um, did you know water boils at 212 degrees? Did you know that? No, you didn't know that, did you? Can I be on? So, so at 211 degrees, it's really hot, but it doesn't boil. Yep. Did you know that? 212 degrees, it boils. There's some of us in this room tonight, you're at 211, and God wants you at 212. Oh, yeah. There's some of you in this room tonight where you're at 211, and if you just took one more step towards him, you'd be at 212, and man, you'd be ripping stuff up. Yep. I'd be like, here's the keys to the net. You can just lead it. Go. <laughs> like, Go. And there's some of you in here tonight who are who are at 212. Like, let's be honest, there's some of you who are just ripping it up for Jesus. And then there's some of you who are at 211 and you're like, ooh, I can't take that step. Oh, I can't take that step. I can't take that step. And God's like, come on, take one one step towards me. One step towards me. And you're gonna be at 212, and you're gonna be amazed at the things that I do through you. But there's some of us who are just, they're too, we're too scared. We're too scared to get there. That'd be a good ministry name two twelve. Sorry. 211. Are you at 212 or are you at 211? Yeah. My prayer for you is that you'd be at 212. Yeah. What step do you have to take to get there? What step do you have to take to get there? Are you willing to give your life away to Jesus? Are you willing to just sell it all for him and be like him? Like to be his handiwork really means just to be like him. Yeah. Like just to be like him. To serve people that will never thank you, to love on people that will never love you back, to love people who will mistreat you, that is to be like Jesus. That is to be his workmanship. And I just wonder, are you willing to do that? I'm about to dial it up here. So we're saved by grace, right? But works are the evidence of your faith. Saved by grace, but works are the evidence of your faith. James two, James two, James's book of the Bible, New Testament. James two says, two twenty says, you foolish person, not you. This is the people he's writing to. Uh, Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Faith without deeds is useless. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Yeah. See, that's how some of us are in here tonight. We're saved. We're gonna go to heaven. Woo! Got fire insurance. <laughs> but there's really no evidence of our faith. James saying, like faith without works is dead. Like there's no evidence of the faith. And the Bible would say, like, that's that's called not producing fruit. And I just wonder, in here tonight, like, are you producing fruit? Is there evidence of your faith? Like, would your friends know that you're a follower of Jesus? That sounds weird. I'm, I don't know. I mean, would they know that you're a Christian? Would your mom and dad know? Would your brother know? Would your sister know? Would your friends know? Would your boyfriend know? Would your girlfriend know? Because it's always like, we're always like, saved by grace, saved by grace, and it's like, you are. But, like, works good deeds is comes out of faith right it's like here's the evidence of my faith and i just wonder are you producing fruit that's what we want to do with this ministry like that's why we say get into a small group help lead a small group or get a mentor like we want to help you get from here to there in your relationship with Jesus we want to get you from 211 to 212 yeah. you know cuz like It's my job, like, I am so obsessed with this. I'm just going to talk real. Like, I am so so obsessed with wanting to get you from here to there. Like, I've seen so many successful stories in this room. Like, I look around, God has done so many amazing things. But, like, I can't want it for you. You know, it's like I talk about working out, and people are like, Casey Poffey's like, hey, let's go work out at 6 a.m. I'm like, no, no. (laughs) Like, he he can want it as much as he wants for me, but I'm not going to do it. Like, he can't physically lift up the weights for me. That'd be awesome if he could. I would pay him so much money to do that. But, uh, like, I can't want this for you. I can't want you to move and grow and be more like Christ. I can't do that for you. You have to do it for you. So in your life, like, are you producing fruit? As God's handiwork, as God's workmanship, are you producing fruit? And then point number four I want to get to. This is what I've been building up to the whole night. You're like, stop talking, but I'll get there. So this is like the second responsibility, uh, but this is the last point. Our responsibility is unity. The responsibility is unity. So Paul says all this stuff, okay? He's writing to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It's all about you were dead in your sins. Paul's like, I want you to remember you were dead in your sins. Christ made you alive. Throughout all the ages, God's going to be able to point to you and say, you are God's shining example of his grace. And then he created you to do good works. Okay, so Paul's building this case. He says all of this to say this in verse 11. Therefore, therefore, because of all the stuff I just said, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, Gentiles basically like non-Jew, uh, by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by, or is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at, at that time you were separate from Christ, okay? So before, he's telling the Ephesians, remember, before Christ, you were not included in this covenant, okay? You were separated, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you have uh, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, okay? So he's saying, okay, so before Jesus, remember, before Jesus, you were excluded because you were part of the uncircumcised. And we could talk, I could talk about that another time. It's kind of a, like basically... In the Old Testament covenant, God's Old Testament covenant was with the Jews was circumcision. I don't know why he chose that. It's kind of we can talk about that. We can talk about that some other time. I want to talk about circumcision. Well, up here, I've probably said circumcision like 20 times already. Um, but basically he's saying, oh man, I'm so ADD. Anyways, so uh, basically he's saying, so like you were excluded. You were excluded from the promises of God. But now because of Christ Jesus, you are now included into the family. So nobody can say, no Jew can come to you and say, because you're not circumcised, you're not included, okay? So Paul's Paul saying, therefore, because of all these things, because you're dead in your sins, Christ made you alive, you're going to be a shining example. God created you for good works. Therefore, because of all those things, you are now included, you are now included into the family of God, Okay? So Paul is building, Paul has done a lot of work, and I'm doing a lot of work tonight, to build a case for why there's no division between Jews and non-Jews. And I'm building a case tonight why there should be no division between Christian and Christian. Because I have seen so much division between believers, it's not even funny. Man, I'm getting ahead of myself. Mm. Verse 14. Paul says, For he himself, which is Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and non-Jews, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, there's a lot of tension there. By setting aside in his flesh, Jesus died, okay, with, with uh, we'll go to, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. So Jew, non-Jew, Christ goes to the cross. Now there's one new humanity in him, thus making peace. Everybody say peace. peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. No more tension. Not supposed to be tension. He came, to, he came and preached peace. Everybody say peace. Peace. To you who are far away. And peace. Say peace. peace. To those who are near. For through him we have both access to the Father by one spirit. So Paul is saying, okay, now Ephesians, you were excluded, but now there's not Jew and non-Jew. It's all, we are one in Christ Jesus. Nobody can say to you that you don't belong. Nobody, there shouldn't be any division now between believers because we are now one. He reconciled, he's reconciling all people to himself through the cross. He created a new humanity through the cross. There should be no separation between us because we're all one in Jesus. We all have access to the same Jesus. And so there shouldn't be separation, especially between believers. You look at the church in early Acts, like Acts 2. It says that they shared everything. They shared everything. People sold land. People sold their possessions to help other believers out. There wasn't this, you know, no bad-mouthing people behind their back. Other believers, there's no bad-mouthing other believers behind their back. There's no dissing other people. There's no, well, I want to leave my small group because she's in this group and I don't want to be around her. Yeah. Or I don't really like the way this guy teaches in small groups, so I'm just going to leave. <laughs> or I don't like Adam, so I'm going to leave. I mean, like, there, there, there wasn't that. Whew, quiet. Nerve. Got it. There wasn't that. And there shouldn't be that today. God wants unity between brothers and sisters in Jesus. But there's so much disunity. Now I wonder why there's so much disunity. Paul is saying to the believers in Ephesus: hey, there's all this tension, there's all this division, but Jesus wants unity, and we can have peace in unity through Jesus. First, God wants you to be reconciled to him. That's number one. And two, he wants you to have peace with others. And can I ask you a question? Are you a person of peace or are you a person of chaos? Are you a person of peace or are you a person of chaos? Small group, whatever. You're at some place. People start talking about him and start talking about her. Like are you the person that says, "Hey, let's just not go there. Let's not go there. Let's not let's not talk about these people who aren't even here." Are you a person of peace or are you a person of chaos? You know the difference. Like you can be like, "Did you see those pictures of her on spring break?" I'm not saying anything, but I'm just saying, "Did you see those pictures of her at spring break? Did you see how? Did you see that drink in her hand? Did you see that?" Or this person, like, 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 are you that person that kind of stirs things up? Like, 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 if you get together with people to pray for, like, you talk about someone for an hour in a bad way and then, like, pray for them, that's not praying for them. That's gossiping. There's a difference. But like, so are you a person of peace or are you a person of chaos? One is a blessing. The other is a curse. Nothing will break a, a community apart faster than a person of chaos. Nothing will break apart a community faster, a small group faster than a person of chaos. So are you a person of chaos, or are you a person of peace? And Paul is explaining to them, he says, therefore, remember, Ephesians, remember, remember, remember when you yourself were separated from Christ Jesus. You have to remember who you once were. Like Paul lays out all this work. He lays out all this work about being dead in your sins, made alive in Christ. He lays out all this work to remind them that, hey, you weren't so neat and nice and pretty before. And you have been made alive in Christ and renewed. So you really have no right to start chaos and have division. I got to read this so I say it right. But he's trying to say, remember, because... The privileges, I have to read it, or I'm going to say it wrong. The privileges which the Ephesians, us, and even us now enjoy, would be appreciated all the more if we reflected carefully upon the spiritual condition from which we have been rescued. Let me say that again. If we would remember, if we would remember, if we would remember the, the, our spiritual condition before Jesus rescued us, we would enjoy the privileges of knowing Jesus even more and more and more. Yeah. Yep. If we would remember what Christ has brought us through to get us where we're at, I guarantee you we would extend forgiveness quicker. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul's like, remember this, remember this, remember this, because you're going to need to forgive people quick. If you remember, like if I remember the things that God has brought me through, man, if you offended me, I'd just be like, you know, what? I used to offend people all the time. It's okay. But how many of us have forgotten what Jesus has done for us and we hold on to bitterness and we hold on to unforgiveness? How many of us have forgotten what Christ has done for us and we have no patience with anybody? I just wonder, like, how quickly would we... Be to forgive and have patience if we, and try to understand each other, like, in small group, like, if this person is different from you, or start, like, if you really remembered the crap that Jesus brought you through, like, wouldn't you just, like, just want to sit down and be like, okay, he's rescuing me from so much, I know we've got some differences, but can we work on this? Can we work on this? Because you love Jesus, I love Jesus, let's love, like, we don't have to be best friends, but there should be harmony and unity between us. You know what I'm saying? And, I, and okay, so yeah, so how quickly would we be to extend forgiveness if we remembered the things that Jesus brought us through? And friends, I say this with the most amount of love that I can in my heart. But there are people, there are people who are absolutely torching other believers with their mouths. There are people who are absolutely torching other believers with their mouths. And I, and I say this with the most love. And But if you say if you're a believer, you say you're a believer, then prove it by shutting your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I say that with the most love. And that's the thing I knew that would offend people. Like, if you never come back, I'm really sorry. But if it offends you, it probably applies to you. Yeah. Um, Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, only that which is useful... For building others up. That's a tough one. And, and like it offends me, so I know it applies to me. You know, like this is tough for me. We have to be agents of peace. We have to be people of peace, not agents of chaos. So Paul reminds us like through all these things, Jesus is our peace. And so we first have to We first find peace with others by finding peace with Jesus, okay? So I said it like this, kind of a clever way. If if it's not clever to you, then it's fine. I just worked really hard on it. Um, Let me say this, okay, first. Vertical peace, okay, vertical, peace with God, is foundational to horizontal peace. We we, We cannot have peace with others if we do not have peace with God. Man, I worked for like 20 minutes on that, and nobody cares. Thank you, three people. I need affirmation. My wife's been busy with the baby; doesn't give me affirmation. So, I'm in affirmation mode. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, second, okay. So, does that make sense? Vertical piece is foundational. The horizontal piece, piece with the others. Okay. Horizontal piece is this horizontal piece is the testament of vertical piece. Okay. Let me. Start. You don't have to clap for that one. Gosh, but let me say this, okay? <laughs> horizontal peace. This is true though. Horizontal peace is a testament of vertical peace. That's okay. I'll answer. Hey, how are you? Doing? How are you doing with that? Like, I know we can kind of laugh and stuff, but does that describe your life? Like, do you have horizontal peace in your life? Now, there's always going to be things that I mean, we're like we're going to you know bump up against each other. That's fine, and we're going to talk things out. But like how are you doing with this stuff? Um, Do you guys, uh, I'm going to ask the band to come up. Uh, Do you guys know what the fish symbol is, the Jesus symbol? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, can you you see what I'm doing in the air? Okay. Um, People have it on their cars. They, they, oh my gosh, dude, whoever did that. Good job, man. Uh, So that's the Jesus, that's the fish symbol. Okay. And that's like, not just a bumper thing like this. Uh, this is so like first century uh, Christians would do this, okay? So when they're threatened by the Romans uh, of persecution, Christians use this uh, fish mark, uh, use this fish sign to mark like meeting places. So if, this, if a place, if a building had a fish symbol on it, it was like, okay, this is a safe place for Christians to go. they put it on like tombs of Christians, um, uh, meeting places. Uh, it was a way to, to distinguish between friend and... And foe, and according to one, uh, according to several ancient stories, uh, when a Christian would meet another stranger on the road, uh, the Christian would sometimes like get down on a knee and draw like one arc of the fish, and if the stranger would compl- like do the same thing and create their own arc, they'd say, "Okay, this is a friend." But if they didn't, they'd say, "Okay, this person might be someone who would persecute me." So. They would walk away. They would know that they're not in good company. But if they had bend down, do the fish symbol, and the other person completed. it, they're like, okay, this is a friend. This is a safe place. Um, guys, we could have that fish symbol on our cars. We can have it on our house. But if we're not a safe place for other Christians to come to, what does it matter? What does it matter? And so can I ask you the question, are you a safe place for other believers? Like are are, are you a safe place for someone to come to with their junk? Or do you take their junk and then go tell Sally, if there's someone named Sally, I'm sorry, but like you go tell Sally like here's blah, 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 it's junk. Like are you a safe place? The way in which we talk about one another and treat one another as Christians will speak more to the world about our faith than reciting 100 scripture verses. Like, I, like honestly, like I've been, through sem- I've been through undergrad for Bible stuff, I've been through seminary, like all the Greek, Hebrew, all that stuff, and like none of that impresses me if you're not like loving to other people. Yeah. And nothing will tell an unbelieving world more about who you are and your faith than how you treat other Christians. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you can recite Re- Revelation, if you can't love your person in your small group. Let's be real. Like who cares if you can recite all that but have no heart, have no love for your brother or sister in Christ. And I just want to say this, like when I was writing this uh, this week or whatever, I was like, God, I don't want to say this. I don't want to say this. I don't want to say this, but I wrote it down and I think I'm going to say it. Yeah, I'm going to say it. There's some of us in this room tonight, there's some of us in this room tonight you're kind of baffled by like why some of your non-Christian friends haven't made more progress towards following Jesus. And I really believe it's because they've heard how we, how you, how we have talked about Christians, about the church, about the church, the big C church, pastors. And they're like, why would I ever go to church? If the way you talk about it is terrible, why would I ever go there? Like, if you told me about a restaurant that you're like, oh, the, the waiters were rude, They never. T- <laughs> the waiters are rude, the food came out cold, would you ever go to that restaurant? No. But some of us are sitting in here tonight and we're absolutely shocked that our non-Christian friends don't love Jesus. And I, I just wonder if it's because of how much we trash the church. How much we trash other Christians? Because I promise you this. Once someone knows you're a Christian, there is a target on you, and they listen so close. They listen so close. And P.S. P.S. When you criticize the church, not Connection Point, but like the Big C Church, like the overall nation church. Like, you know, like I do it all the time. Like oh, these, pastor, They don't know what they're doing. The multi-site, they don't know. The multi-site, why are I spend so much money on a building, Neil? Jeez, OP, I can't believe that. Adam didn't talk. Anyways, like when you criticize the church, you criticize Jesus' bride. The Bible says that the church is his bride and he's the bridegroom. And so when we criticize the church, we're criticizing his bride. And I know how I would react if you criticized my bride. Good luck with him. And PSPSS. How do you say it? PSSS? One more thing. Like PSSS. Um, if you aren't actively in the fight, trying to change things in the Big C Church, and you're not contributing, then sit down and please be quiet. Like if you're not active in, the, in this fight, then please sit down and stop talking about it because all you're doing is making it harder to reach people for Jesus. You're making our job harder. It's like looking at a dirty microwave, right? Like you can look, look at a dirty microwave and just be like, oh, my gosh, that thing is so dirty. That microwave is so gross. That microwave, man, the you the popcorn residue this, the, the spaghetti residue, man, there's this ravioli residue. I like, I like Italian food, it, I guess, and popcorn. But like, you know what I mean? Like, you can look at a dirty microwave and be like, and you could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. But talk ain't going to clean up any microwave. So you can talk about the church, talk about the church, talk about how I should do things different at the net, how leaders should do different at the net, this should be different, the church isn't doing this, they're not reaching these people, blah, blah, blah. If you're not doing anything, shut up. Shut up. And those are all the people in the fight. Okay. Uh, Thank you for exposing yourself. I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah. Anyways. Oh, oh, uh, (laughs) oh. If someone... Okay, this is a long time ago. This girl's no, not, no longer here anymore. I, I, this person's no longer here. This is like four years ago when we first started. And this person came to me and was like, we should really, start, I'm not going to laugh. I, yeah, we should really do something about X, Y, and Z, which is, you know, it's like homelessness in, in, in Indy. And I was like, this is a great idea. Like among young adults, I was like, this is a great idea. And I was like, she's like, you should go do it. Like you should do something. And I was like, you should go do it. Because God's not going to tell you. God's not going to put something on your heart to tell me to go do. Right? I want to be the biggest agent of, like, helping you do stuff. Like, if God has a passion on your heart, come to me, and I will help you figure out how to do it. But don't come to me, like, saying, here, you go do this, because God's not going to put something on your heart to tell me to go do. Because he's gifted you to do it. I'm not gifted. I can't do very much. I don't even do this very well. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, we need you. Like in all this, like we need you. We, the church needs you to be a peacemaker. We need you to, to in small group when, or after small group or whatever, like when, when stuff's going on and people start talking about this other person, like we need you to be like, hey, let's not go there, man. Like let's just stop. Like remember all the stuff Jesus brought us through? Like let's not, let's not be like that. Because none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. An unbelieving world needs you to be a person of peace. And what does it look like to draw the other half of the fish now? Like, what does it look like? You know, how do we, how do I? there's so many times like where I'm at like Starbucks and I'm like, man, I wish there was like a, like somehow I could just tell if people are like Christian, so I know who like, like how could we draw the other half of the ark? You know, how can we be an agent of peace with people? I'm sorry, I got to say this one more thing. Um, This is so amazing to me. Neil and I talked about this at at coffee at Starbucks. We did the fish thing. That's cool. Um, Think about Jesus and Judas. Think about Jesus and Judas for a second. Judas served with Jesus for three years. They were in a small group of 12 guys for three years. And Jesus is God. If you guys didn't know that, Jesus is God. So Jesus knew, in my opinion, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him the entire time. So when they're sitting down and they're eating, you know, fish by the Sea of Galilee and Judas makes a joke, like Jesus is like, he knows. But Jesus, never recorded in in our Bibles, does Jesus ever go to to John and Peter and say, that Judas, that Judas is a scumbag. Stealing money from the money thing. He's going to betray me. Did you know that? Like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. I'm only saying it to you in confidence. But like Peter and John, like Judas is going to betray me. Jesus never did that. And I just wonder what the implication, like what does that mean for us? Like what if Jesus would have done that? I wonder what that would have done to that small community of men. Like if Jesus would have spilt the beans about Judas in year like one and a half, I'd be willing to bet that that would have Separate the whole group. Disunity kills a community quick. And so if Jesus can, can be with this person for three years knowing that he's going to betray him. And he betrays him with a, a kiss on the cheek, man. Like how like how intimate is that? Like they're that close. And he never did, never said a word. What does that mean for you and for me? And so I want us to stand. So go ahead and stand. I want you to think about this. I want you to contemplate the things that God has brought you through to get you to where you're at tonight. I want you to remember, if you know Jesus, like I want you to remember how he's made you alive in him. And I want you to think about, like, are you a peacemaker? Are you a person of peace? Or are you an agent of chaos? And if you're an agent of chaos, you're extremely loved in this place. I love you so much, but we got to stop. We got to stop because the church needs you. The net needs you to be a person of peace because God's mission is moving forward and the world needs people of peace and the world needs you. So I want you to contemplate that, think about that, and then Jesse's going to come up and close up the service.